Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Welcome back, everybody. Very excited for today's episode. I absolutely had a blast in the conversation. I have Eric Rieger on the show. He is the founder of Webit, which is a IT service provider for businesses. And I met Eric in a 10 disciplines coaching program with Gino Wickman and my dear friend, Rob Dubay. And I really enjoyed Eric, his approach to life and business. And Webit is an ESOP. And I wanted to know more about why Eric turned his company into an ESOP, jumped on a call with him. And Eric said, well, we got to first start with why are we here on this planet? And I was like, oh my God, am I going to love this conversation? So when I say that Eric is intentional and he lives and breathes a lot of the philosophies we talk about, he's absolutely the guy to explain step-by-step his evolution and growth as an entrepreneur, how he changed, he reflects on his changes, and then why he ended up doing an ESOP and how what he's doing right now and the path he's on is allowing him to create wealth, enjoy work and make an impact. And he's got that clearly identified outcome of his big picture and his big purpose in his life and how his business and Webit and the ESOP are accomplishing and helping accomplish what he's trying to set out to do with his life, his business and the impact that he's trying to make. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this interview with Eric Rieger. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Good morning, Eric. How are you? I'm great, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm so excited for this conversation, honestly. <laughs> I was like, I, I honestly, I was sitting here last night thinking, okay, how am I going to steer this conversation where you and I had jumped on a call and we immediately started tackling every single important topic, it seemed like, in the entire universe. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, there's not too many people I can do this with, so where do we start? <laughs> and then what did I say to you? Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I have lots of them. Oh, gotcha. A couple, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, with all of that, like you know, I, I, I just found it so enjoyable. Like we're jumping on and like the amount of different types of topics that you and I rallied on right away. And when I think about like, well, the reason I'd reached out originally is, you know, you and I were in that uh, group with Rob Dubay and Gina Wickman and their, uh, and their new 10 disciplines coaching program. And I heard your story about doing the ESOP and saw some of your posts. I'm like, man, Eric's really thinking a lot about why he's doing what he's doing. So when we jumped on that call, I wasn't shocked, but I thought about starting because I don't normally do this, Eric. Usually what I do is a story arc of like how someone got to where they are. But I wanted to start maybe with you is like, why are you where you are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just your face reaction. <laughs> I think it might have started because, like, you know, you, you've got an ESAP, you got this IT company, which there are other ESAP IT companies, but I think your journey is very fascinating and your, the thought you put into your paths on the way here. So I don't know how, if, if you think that's a good container for the conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to put this kind of animal in a box, so we'll just, we'll see where it takes us. But I, I understand, I understand conceptually what you're, you're asking. And uh, yeah, I've actually, I, I think 
on a prior conversation, I told you I'm, I'm writing a book about my experience as an entrepreneur um, and I'm doing it with the intention of writing it for myself. And then if other people get benefit from it, that's great. But I don't want to put the pressure on myself to write a bestseller or anything like that, because my experiences have been unique to me. And I hope that as I'm going through this, some somebody will benefit from it and, and maybe shorten a learning curve or really put more intentional thought before they get too deep into their business and then have to struggle like I did to undo some of the things before the intention was there. Well, and you right there, I think is like the, where I, I wanted to really hone in with that question is you like our conversation was like, I know, I know it's the cliche of the name of the podcast, but like when you and I started talking, your the amount of energy you have applied to why are you doing what you're doing? Maybe we start there. Like, why is that such a big deal for you? Cause I've got, you know, that I shared my stories with you of like why it's yeah. so important to me, but like, why is understanding why you're doing what you're doing so important to you? Yeah. I mean, again, not to get too philosophical, but like oh, the whole, go for why, it, man. <laughs> why are we here? You know, like if, if you want to break it down to the whole existence phase, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm doing a lot of work on self-development and, and just self-reflection and, and the meaning of life and not to get, you know, too deep into that, but you know, there's, there's a reason for everything. And so when I first started my business, the reason for that was I just couldn't stand where I was anymore. And I couldn't stand the way we treated our employees. I couldn't stand the way we treated our clients. It was a toxic culture. Um, I think I told you I was going through a bottle of Tums every week and, and, you know, people laugh, but it's, I mean, literally no joke. I was buying the king size bottle and by Friday they'd be gone because it was just so stressful. <clears throat> and so I, I quit and, and kind of just dove in head first on the urging of my father you know, his sage advice of you have a credit card, go for it. And that is not recommend, not my, not my recommendation <laughs> not to your advice. audience. Yeah, that, yeah, caveat, asterisk, whatever you want to put there. <laughs> Don't do what I did because it was a different time. And, but I, I had this naivete of, you know, I, I just, I would say things and ask things that, you know, normally you'd go, you said that in front of that person or you, you know, like I walked into a bank because uh, somebody told me you need a line of credit and, you know, here's this new business. And I walked into a bank and I asked for 25,000 and they said no. And I went, I've never missed a payment on anything. Why won't you give me, you know, I'm good for it. And I stayed there until I talked to the bank president and walked out with a $25,000 line of credit. <laughs> yes. I love you it. can't do that. These, I mean, like there's, you know, the eighties and nineties were a different time. <laughs> Things were a little bit fast and loose and all of that. So, but that was kind of the, there was really no why behind it other than I hated where I was and I had the bug of I could do better and people should be treated with respect and dignity. I where mean, did that, that, where did that come from though, Eric? My father. I mean, that was yeah. the whole, you know, like his, his whole thing is he always put people ahead of himself. Um, his, you know, like whenever he was trying to teach me something mechanical, it's the right tool for the right job, you know, just be proud of it. He was a, a truck driver, but he called himself a transportation engineer. He wore a collared shirt. His name was on it. American flag patch on the show. Like, you know, you, you picture a truck driver right. and, yeah, and yeah. corporate outfit is not what you picture, mm -hmm. but you know, it's kind of the, if you dress professionally, people will take you more seriously and, and those types of things. And when you think about it, even today, you know, truck drivers, it's like the backbone of America. 
mm-hmm. you know, goods and services, like, you know, things are hauled every day. Everything would stop if it wasn't for, you know, the, the transportation. So he underlyingly knew that and kind of instilled that professionalism, treat people how you want to be treated, um, you know, mm-hmm. do, a, do a good day's work, get a good day's pay, that type of stuff. So that was really the jumping off point. But it wasn't until I started getting help with coaches and mentors. And I was, you know, this is the whole arc of, you know, my story as I'm, as I'm writing all this down and remembering all the twists and turns and the decisions I made, it's a miracle. Like you asked, how am I here? It's an absolute miracle because all the right, you know, all the different opportunities and all the decisions that had to be made to get to this point, it's just, it still fascinates me. It's like, Oh my God, I forgot about that. And if I would have made the other decision, none of this would have happened. I wouldn't have Mm -hmm. met this person. I wouldn't have met this person. And, and all these coaches and mentors were really kind of the, you know, the, 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 the guideposts. Yeah. They like, like just bump you just to, and then all of a sudden the trajectory is two degrees off and take 10 yeah. years on top of it. Well, and, and, and really the, you know, being very intentional about reading, you know, like that's the thing you have to be kind of a lifelong learner and you, you know, you have to go into the books and everybody gets something different out of books. And even myself, I'll go back and read a book two, three, four times. And it's like, oh, I missed that part. Or, oh, I'll, you know, I'll get something new out of the book. Context is different when you're picking it back up. Yeah. And it, and it, it shapes who you are. So that's, you know, as, you're, as your hair starts getting gray and hopefully it stays for a while, you know. <laughs> hopefully that's, I get that, to keep it, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's been my thing. It's like I look back five years and how, how black has turned to gray and, it's still there. And I'm like, Hey, that's great. It's still there, (laughs) but you, (laughs) Um, you become a different person. And so, you know, you asked about my why it's like, once I was exposed to, you know, that those types of people who force you to think about why you're doing what you're doing and profit can't be the answer. I mean, profit is certainly important and, you know, cash is the oxygen for your business. And there's a lot I've learned about financial metrics in a business um, you know, your cash flow is, is you, you can be very profitable and still go out of business. A lot of people are surprised by that. It's like, well, if we're, if we're profitable every month, that's great. If you're not managing cash flow, you know, all these things I've learned about, you know, being a leader, a CEO, I don't have an MBA, didn't go to school for any of this stuff. Um, but those people shape me and, and continuing to read and educate really started to get me to dig into my why. And, and as I started looking at what's happening and what's been happening to my industry and other industries with private equity, um, I'm now starting to get the anti-private equity moniker. Like I'm, you know, I'm a little fish in a giant ocean, but I'm becoming public enemy number probably 850 on private <laughs> equities list. I like, I like that little caveat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 on the, I'm on the list. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the thing they worry about. I don't keep them up at night, but like I certainly am not a fan um, because that is literally all return. And, you know, I see it happening in our industry. So many roll-ups, there's been probably about 3,000 since 2020. And you got people my age and older who just went through a pandemic, uh, having an IT company. It's the you you know, one 3, of the thousand Eric in, yeah. in the IT company, like that many acquisitions have happened. Oh, yeah. Holy crap, man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. So our industry right now, the vast majority of organizations are under a million in revenue. So they're right. trying to find their footing. And so there's about 10% that's marketable in terms mm-hmm. of that roll up. 
and there's just a stupid amount of money that has to be invested because I think I was at a, a seminar. There's about $1.5 trillion in what they call dry powder. That's got to be mm-hmm. invested in the next five years. And that money's coming. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's got a price they say, and if you don't have a why, then you're probably going to get enticed by a check at some point. And that was the thing. It's like, I started looking at this as in terms of the problems in the economy and the problems in the country are this income inequality gap keeps growing. Right. Mm-hmm. So the haves have more and the have nots have less. And that divide just keeps spanning and spanning, and spanning. And I'm going, OK, I'm going to get to a point. We all get in a point in our business as owners. you got a decision to make. You can't work forever, you know, and you can work till you die. But that's still going to drop the problem in somebody else's mm-hmm. lap. So what's my choice? What's my path? And that's when we started doing open book and then open book management led me to ESOP. And that was like, okay, so now if I make this my path, I won't have to make a decision about selling to private equity, take a seven-figure check, and then feel terrible the rest of my life that I sold out basically to the people who helped build the value of the business, but instead transfer the wealth into their hands and make this an evergreen business. And then next, start incentivizing other companies to follow our path. And uh, certified EO, they just put out an article about creating an employee-owned economy. And I'm like, I'm all on board for that. Like, okay, now my why and your why, like they're starting to sync up. It's like, yes, let's create a movement. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we got to, to here today. That was my <laughs> I, short uh, answer. No, no, I think that, that's, <laughs> honestly, it's beautiful, Eric, because it, it, it's a wonderful container because I think with that overarch, or that, that arch, that story arch, we can get into like the, like the different paths and the decision points, which is where I find things so fascinating where you, you are rare when you, you can articulate why, like you, you reflect on what, what could have been different. And, uh, cause then we can get back into kind of the mechanics. I, like I just had Corey Rosen on, I think, you know, that, uh, I think yeah. you commented on it and there's the, there, there's this alignment of incentives that can be pure and awesome at the same time. But like, when we jumped on, it was like, whoom, we went right into the deep end in our first conversation. But it's like, it that takes a journey to get to that understanding. And it's, I've had my own fascinating journey too, to get to that like conclusion. And so like where, where like you, you mentioned a couple of times you started learn or reading and learning and you got uh, fixated on that. I think you and I both shared some stories about how I mean, I was not a good student because I never, no one ever told me why anything mattered. So then I just didn't care. <laughs> and yeah. so like, yeah, here I am consuming books at a rapid pace. I can't stop. Where, where did like the self-reflection kind of intrinsic motivation start happening to you? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll piggyback on what you said. I'm dyslexic. So I always had a problem reading books. Like I wanted to read, but like reading was tough and comprehension when you're a dyslexic is you have to kind of read three and four times for stuff to sink in. But I found audio, I can consume that at a rapid pace. So when Audible became a thing, it's like I, I became oh. a much more rapid <laughs> consumer of, of, of intellectual knowledge and, and, you know, which just then sparked more in the brain. So that's. Did you, did you desire the knowledge when you got, cause like, cause if all of a sudden you're listening to an audio book, if you didn't desire it, you could, even though it was your way of learning it, you might have not grabbed onto it like that. So what was the, uh, Oh my God, it's finally here kind of thing. Well, as, as a, as a child, I was one of those annoying why 
Why? <laughs> Why? Like I, it wasn't good enough to just because, or that's the way we do it. Like I always, I have to know how things work just to satisfy my brain and shut that part. Okay, good. Now we got it. Now we can move on to something else. Why, 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 why? So that really is what drives me. And, you know, you, you talk about being in uh, Gino and Rob's 10 disciplines group and, you know, the book recently that really just was kind of like, Oh my God, somebody wrote a user manual for me uh, was the Doug, Doug Brackman's driven book. And, you know, when I started going into that, it's like, Oh, it's not my, this is actually genetic. I'm, <laughs> I'm literally, I can blame DNA for this. This is, this is why I am like I am, you know, five to 10% of us are wired. And then when I took his test, like I'm the outer, outer ring, 99.9th percentile of all weird people. <laughs> like, so, I mean, I have a, I have an excuse it's genetic. <laughs> well, and that's where like you and I immediately jumped in on that almost like starting point going like, like. They're, they're, I think what you and I have shared, and I, th I feel like a lot of visionary entrepreneurs, if we were to pull, like do some sort of tests, not a personality test, but like what you just described, I think a lot of us would share the same, um, same qualities or characteristics where like, there's this desire. And I, I don't know if you, this relates to you. It's like, okay, if it's unknown, I don't, un I don't like the unknown. So I want to go figure it out and then communicate it to others. So it's like you and I were talking about something like the we mentioned the book sapiens or there's a couple other ones that you and I had talked about, but like where you go out to the chaos to then bring it back and to put it into order. <laughs> and yeah. there's like this weird, like fix on that. It's like a fix is what I've seen. Well, it's, a, it's the dopamine chase. It's like yeah. we're wired to chase the dopamine and you're never going to satisfy that. So you have to kind of learn how to, you know, be a dopamine addict without being destructive. Like that's mm -hmm. where visionaries can find their true gift is, if, if you have people around you who can help contain that, but will still allow you to be yourself, um, I think that's, that's part of it. But you got to understand yourself first, how you're wired, which is why, you know, Doug's book was so, you know, it's, it was an epiphany. It's like, oh, these are gifts. Like, and, and when they're presented in the wrong way, it's very destructive and you make people hate you in, in a very quick way. But when you realize what they are and then you can, you can, you know, not necessarily put containers on them, but put them in the appropriate light. Mm -hmm. I think that gives you a superpower, basically, you know, that again, you have to have the right people around you and you have to be able to be transparent and, and all those things. But one of the things that drives me crazy is like, you see a lot of these things like, uh, like, and, and this might tick some people off, but like Grant Cardone is like, I, I look at, listen to him and all this stuff. And he, he is like the, like, you should not listen to him. Like, just because everything can be 10 X doesn't mean it needs to be 10 X. Like that's the why part, right? Okay. You should 10 X. You should do the why, because that's what you teach or like is, is 10 X what revenue, profit, happiness. Like what, what, what are you actually talking about here? Right. Right. And well, and that's, that's, that goes back to like when I'm, as I'm writing my book, you know, you, you, you look at a lot of unhappiness today in the, in the country and in the world. And, and it's, this was part of my journey is when I was in other peer groups, I was so stressed out, not hitting certain metrics or not, you know, like the group was measuring against itself and here's your bar. And you, you definitely need some type of parameters to keep your business in line. Right. And, 
but I was stressing out because like, I have this drive, like gotta be the top, gotta be the top. And then I just took a step back and I go, what are, what are we doing here? Like, why are we, <laughs> why again, it? back yeah. to the question of why, what, yeah. are, what's well, the point? And that's, that's where we started changing our business. And it's, I think it's helped incredibly in terms of, you know, trying not to kill everybody here because there's a lot of companies that need help technology wise, like that's never going to go away. So if we really pressed hard, if we 10 X it, you know, we could be selling like crazy. Well, when you sell like crazy in a service business that relies on people, you got to bring new people in. And if you've ever worked with people, the more of them you have, <laughs> the more challenging it becomes. Right. And I think there's some books and we talked it's an about exponential it, like, nature, every single node or person that comes in just it, like ripples throughout the entire culture. Yeah. Well, and I, I forget which book because so many of them reference it, but there's one that talks about the initial, like a, a pot of 150 is about the max number of people. Dunbar's number, Dunbar number. Yeah. Yep. yep. And that, and beyond that, then it starts to lose its, its magic. Was that that tribes book? Um, it's been in so many. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. yeah it's yep. like the, the concept started resonating and it's like now, you know, that's part of my bigger picture. Like, okay, well, what happens when we get to 150? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking hopefully I'm not going to be around for that, but like somebody's going to yep. have to deal with it. And if we're not intentional now, it's going to, you know, that'll be the thing that kills us, which goes back to my driven DNA. Yeah. It's like, I'm always looking for the dinosaur to come and bite my head off. <laughs> but that, that's kind of the, you know, we, I went back to that peer group stuff. It's, it's like, okay, it's good to kind of benchmark, but you know, in 2019, we, we, for, for the first time ever, we applied for the Inc 5,000 and we got in, we were like 26 or 2700, somewhere in there. It was mm -hmm. a, it was a crazy number. And I went to that conference and I remember sitting there in the lobby in my tuxedo, sending messages back to the leadership team going, this is the worst night ever. I shouldn't be here. These people are all fake and plastic. Everybody's here just to hear their name. And I started having a conversation with a couple nice people and they're like, you know, where'd you land? And I'm like, you know, cause that's the question everybody had. What, what's your number? It's, like, it's a measuring stick. Everybody. Well, <laughs> I started asking the, like, okay, wait a minute. So this, the, their metrics are based on growth only like top line revenue growth. And again, you can grow really fast and go out of business. And they're like, well, thank God you weren't in the top 500. And I said, why? And they're like, 20% of them are out of business in the next year. You know what's so interesting when Jack Stack was on the sh uh, the show the first time, and I don't recall how he worded his involvement of like the founding of the Inc. 5000, or he was participating somewhere in it. And he said that he got out of it, like the association. And he's like, what did he say? Something like half of the Inc. 5000 people can't afford two payrolls. Right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're running and see, like when we, when we talk about open book with our team, you know, we look at our liquidity. So we have a liquidity number and right now we're close to four, right? And most people, you know, if you don't know your liquidity number and what that means is for every dollar of payables, we have $4 of free cash flow. We have $4 of mm -hmm. cash in the bank to pay. So like we have a long run rate, you know, we could go three months with income being completely shut off and still be able to pay our bills. Mm -hmm. Most companies are three weeks or less. Yep. And it's like, okay, well, you want to teach safety and security to your team. It's like, okay, well, let them know, Hey, we're, you know, but you have to give them the context of other numbers context. because otherwise yep. they're like, Oh, we're sitting on piles of cash. Let's let, give me a raise. And it's like, well, what value you're bringing to the company, like, you know, that yep, yep, spurs yep, yep. other conversations. That's not what that too. for is for. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep, but yep. if you don't teach them the, the whole picture, 
and you just give them a part. That's why people are afraid to open books yep. because it's like, you got to teach the whole thing. You can't yep. just give them snippets because they'll make up the rest of the story in their heads. Yeah. So I, I, I before, cause I want, I, I love what you, the, a bunch of the comments you just said, Eric, and, and going back to what is the game that we're playing? So what I heard is like, you know, you're in other peer groups talking about revenue and growth. And then you're in the Inc 5,000 talking about growth. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about if you had the similar experience in school, but it goes back to the why in the absolute hell are we doing what we're doing? And my entire life, people just gave BS answers. <laughs> and like, and there's that book, I think you and I talked about this is way, way beyond most of this podcast, but the, the, the beginning of infinity book that I'm like trying to trudge through that is insane. And his whole book is like human beings on our, on our, on a search for good explanations. And I was like, back to your point of like DNA, it's like, I hadn't been getting good explanations. Like, oh, your, your job is to get a 4.0. Why? To get a job. Well, I, I was selling lawnmowing services this summer. So I don't need to go to school to sell. It's like, so why? Because I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just pull the thread and you're just like, and then so it was like the grades or the GPA and then, or like the revenue. And then like, and then when I got into the family business, like we're selling copiers. Well, they don't actually need another copier. So why are we going to jam another lease down their throat and re-up them? Right. <laughs> It's just like, uh, ah. Well, you, you start pulling at those threads and what you realize is the person you're talking to hasn't thought it through. And so they're just regurgitating what's been, you know, and that's how generationally people become ignorant is they uh -huh. just accept the, the status quo. And I did this like early on, you know, with like Christmas never made sense to me. Like I was raised Lutheran and like the minute I could start thinking for myself, I was like, okay, tree. Santa Claus, Jesus, the Easter, like, where does all this stuff come from? And then you start asking people who don't know the answers and they just like, well, this is just how it's always been. And it's like, well, yeah. the tree is a pagan symbol. Jesus is under the tree with Santa Claus. Help me understand. And you start pulling at people's core beliefs and that's where you start making enemies too. That's the thing you have to be respectful about the way you go about this is like, Hey, I'm just trying to, I'm not knocking you. I'm trying to learn for myself. And if you don't know the answer, that's great. Let's, let's find the answer together. But a lot of people, if that's their foundation of their world and you've just fractured it, it's like, they're not going to want to go on that journey with you. Oh, okay. So you just touched on a couple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can see me like, Oh my God, then you gave me some serious yeah. juice there. Is that, I, I, I love how you frame that. And, um, what I there, there's a psychologist that you and I have talked about in the past that, that um, the the interesting way of uh, it was Jordan Peterson talking about, and I know he's divisive and all this stuff bothers me so much because he's a brilliant psychologist. Obviously, whatever he's doing in the news is his deal, but his his body of work I found very fascinating. Where he said that betrayal is one of the hardest things that people experience because what it does, Eric, is it, and I'm not saying this to you because you might already know this, but like you have to rethink your whole past, every decision you made in your whole past, because what you, your, your fundamental belief system was like the order of the hierarchy was reshuffled and you have to go back and go, okay, well, how did I make every decision up until this point? And then what's my entire projection of the future? So yeah. what, why I'm bringing this up is the curious mind bumps into that, like you said, with everybody's. And so like you pull the thread for their own curiosity to answer the why question, but then where I've experienced, just like you said, man, and I never intended these outcomes, but like 
why does private equity exist or why does this? And then all of a sudden you're like pissing everybody off and you're like, no, I'm just trying to understand. And then it's like, cause the answers either suck or they're not good or like, and, and I'm not saying good or bad for any of these topics, but it's like you start bumping into these beliefs and people aren't in this self-reflection journey, like maybe on the same trajectory, whatever it is. And then it's like, crap, what do you do with that? I don't know. Yeah. Have you experienced similar things like that or? Oh, well, I mean, you just, just try to have a conversation about politics with anybody today. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, is so many people believe like if, if you actually take the, the, the left and right and Republican, Democrat, independent thing out of the equation and you just have a, 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 a non-political conversation about, let, let's just say border security. Most common people are going to say, well, of course we want secure borders. Now it's how we go about doing that where, mm -hmm. where the divide starts to happen. But the common like outcome is we just want security. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to be safe and secure. And it's like, we used to be such a, a more centrist group. And then, you know, again, the, the, the purpose of politics when, when the country was founded and we don't want to get into the, you know, the We're not getting into politics and understanding the, the yeah, system. yeah, yeah. But like, like the whole purpose of being, being going to government was to serve a little bit and then go back to private, you know, so it wasn't intended to be a career mm -hmm. Well, it started to become a career. And then, and then there was this shift where they spend now more time fundraising than they do actually legislating. And it's like the whole goal of a politician is to remain in power. It's not to serve the people. So now we're buying into these narratives of, you know, well, that's that's the person I support and that's the message I support, but nothing ever gets done about it. Mm -hmm. And instead of us coming closer together and compromising a little bit, you know, nobody gets anything they want, but everybody gets something. Mm -hmm. It's now you're either you're either on my team or you're the you know, you're the enemy. Mm -hmm. and, and that's that's that happens when you start to crack at that foundational beliefs. Mm hmm. And that's the same thing with religion, with politics, with all these divisive things. And that's the, like what you just said too, is like the, the premise of the uh, clip I almost sent you this morning that I said it was going to derail us because of the author, I cannot pronounce his name, uh, of Sapiens. But the, the reason all of this is relevant to business and leadership is that it's this, we're, we're, we build these narratives in what I, what I found fascinating about your journey is like you were challenging the narratives of others. So like, I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, we have this desire to create our own narratives that are true and we believe, but then some of the times it, it like there's, there's a struggle to evolve that narrative over time. And I've watched you evolve that narrative. So how do you handle like reassessing and updating your narratives? Cause like, you said you were going through a bottle of Tums a week, mm -hmm. right? So like what allowed you to say, hey, this is not working and this narrative and what's going on here is not working. And where did you look to find those mentors or those people to push you in the right direction? Well, in, in certain in situations like that, when I was younger, you know, you just you, you the youth, the inexperienced, like you just have a lot of energy to compensate for <laughs> everything else. Like you just you just try to plow through it. Right. And you get, even at that stage, you get to a point where you're just tired of plowing through it. And I just woke up one day and it was like, I was done. I was just like, I, I have no more to give to this cause and I'm killing myself. And it's like, is this a cause? Is this the hill I want to die on like figuratively and literally? And it mm -hmm. was like, no. And again, it's like, well, you just start questioning yourself. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And that was really the catalyst to just quit. 
And I didn't have a plan like beyond that. But like, you know, again, being being inquisitive has been the catalyst that's brought me to the right people. And I think if I wasn't inquisitive, it's like that's when you get sucked farther into the black hole. Like if, mm-hmm. if, if you have this inquisitive nature and it's, again, with the intent of understanding and not try, like some people go at it, it's like, well, I'm going to try to prove you wrong. And it's like, oh, OK, well, you know, go ahead. But like if I'm just trying to understand so that I can be a better human being and be better to the community, the society, the planet, whatever. I mean, that's what drives me is, is I don't want to be a destructive force. Mm-hmm. I want to help other people. And I can't do that being ignorant. So I need to educate myself. And then that's where I have tolerance problems. I'm still working on me of I'm on this journey and I have to realize I'm in a different place than other people are. And so I have to. Oh, that's tough, isn't it, man? Well, space and grace, because like if I would run into my 25 year old self, that would not go well. Right. Yeah. So I have to remember I'm that to think like, of who would headbutt who first me or the, the old me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing is you have to kind of constantly remind yourself that, you know, Hey, I was, I was once ignorant too. And that was about five minutes ago and I'm still ignorant and I'm, I'm on this, you know, the path to enlightenment is a never ending journey. You're, you're constantly learning and you're constantly, I don't know everything and I'm in search of more. I'm in search of more answers. I'm in search of more kindness. I'm in search of more space, more grace. And and if you do enough of that, it rubs off, I think, on enough people. That's how you that's how um, you know, movements get started is you mm-hmm. just have to be a leader by example in a lot of cases, not necessarily be the loudest talker or the, you know, any the of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he's yeah. Pardon the brief interruption. I just wanted to drop a quick note on the sponsor from Arcona's financial dashboard offering. We have a financial dashboard that connects your operations to your financials and we connect that to your target normalized EBITDA valuation in the future. So you have a clear roadmap on all the decisions that you need to make to stay on track and make sure that you create wealth, enjoy work and make an impact and build a valuable asset gives you the choices. And I think it's crucial because when I think about what Eric's talking about, we can get clear on what we want, but we still are going to have to have the financial wherewithal to go get it and to have an infrastructure and a healthy company with good cash flow that allows us to do what we want. And if we have good cash flow, we have more options. So if you're interested in a complimentary financial assessment, all you have to do is go check out the link in the show notes below where all you have to do is schedule a discovery call with me and my team. We ask you a couple of questions to see if you qualify for that complimentary financial assessment where my team will connect that dashboard and they'll come back to you with their thoughts, their, their opinions on what's working, what's not working. And you'll get a look and see of what your financials could look like in a way that makes sense. So you can make good decisions. So if you're interested in that, go check out the show notes below and schedule a discovery call. And with that being said, I hope you enjoy the rest of the interview with Eric. What I find interesting about your journey, and I just actually interviewed Tom Walter yesterday. <laughs> so like, love Tom. Yeah, I know. And I, like, it just so happened to be two people that I met at, uh, through the small giants community and, and two back to back days. But what I find interesting about both your stories is you got this hard spot and you chose to be more open than what so many people I have experienced were in, and I understand why people would say, okay, I'm burnt out eating a bottle of Tums. Maybe there's cash flow issues. I don't know. All the problems that business ownership comes with, 
people I've watched make like my, my father and I like make a drastic move, sell the company, then reassess versus taking a methodical approach to the other side of like the challenge. So like, what do you think was part of your like default to like be open and not just pull like a rip cord on the situation? Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that in the context of Tom Walter, because his brother, Kevin was our, our coach for open book. <laughs> That's <And> crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, well, Kevin was, Kevin was pretty instrumental in, in, you know, helping me understand you have to be vulnerable. Um, you know, being, being the leader of an organization doesn't mean having all the answers. You know, if, again, if you're the smartest person in the room, you've really done something wrong in terms of building your company. Now, if you're one person, you're going to be the smartest person in the room because it's mm-hmm. just you. Uh, but the goal is not to get people who are less. You're, you're trying to build a culture and you're trying to add to that culture, not, not surround yourself with people who think and act just like you. They're driven maybe to the same purpose and cause, but mm-hmm. you want different opinions you want and, and you have to be vulnerable. That's the thing. It's like, I've, I've had many, um, many opportunities to our team and in, in, as we do it, as we continuously grow, uh, talk openly about mental health challenges I've had. I've, I've battled depression most of my life. I've been in therapy for, you know, five, six, seven years, whatever it's been now. And, you know, by doing that, you humanize yourself, but you also connect with people more, I think. And, and that's the thing. It's like, it's a, it can be a very lonely position because there's not many people I can talk to about the challenges of running a business because mm-hmm. you, you don't want to scare them and you don't want to, you know, make it seem like you don't have, you know, it's like, I'll put the piece yeah, together. Pick, pick and choose people. here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but being transparent and being vulnerable are, are two qualities I didn't have initially, but, you know, again, working with Kevin and, you know, once again, the more people like we have these common circles, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you just get open to these people who are all really focused on just understanding, learning, improving, sharing, caring, you know, and mm-hmm. they lead by example. And then that just becomes part of who you are, you know, the, so that's, the osmosis kind of thing. And yeah. have you ever struggled with, um, so I'll, I'll explain my, like where this is coming from, you know, the context is like, if you're, because I think we share this, like growing up asking why, 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 getting narratives that don't make a lot of sense, and then getting thrown into a situation that where you think you got control. Like I like jumped into the family business, and we think we have control. So therefore, I'm I like what I experienced was like, hey, and whether it was the family business over the last ten years that I've been building what I've been doing is like, it might be a chaotic mess, but at least it's my chaotic mess that I've got some sort of control over, and it's a narrative that I'm evolving myself, and. When I, what I, what I've struggled with in the past is like, when it becomes, when it starts to not work, which I've had many of those situations, Mm -hmm. I've struggled then figuring out how to actually be vulnerable and open to the right people instead of in trying my hardest not to be resentful because then there's these narratives. So it's like, well, those narratives, I, I rejected those narratives because I think they suck and they don't make sense. And I just refuse to like, capitulate to go buy in to make my situation work <laughs> if you're right. if you're tracking me so it's this balance between like i know being vulnerable and open should get me through this craps you know whatever i got going on but like resentment it's like almost like the default are you, i don't know if you're tracking my what i'm yeah what i'm explaining here 
Well, the, the, you know, the, the first part about it is control is an illusion, right? Like (laughs) my, my, my viewpoint of the world and the universe is like, everything is random and chaotic. It just, it is what it is. And then I lean on stoicism of you can't control what happens around you, but you can control how you react to the situation. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one thing that I've been working on for several years now is my response to stimuli, whatever that may be. Right. So it could be people, it could be business events, it could be world events, it could be any of that stuff. So if I'm, that's the one part I can control. Everything else is an illusion of control because you just, you know, you you could line all the dots up and it still goes horribly wrong. Um, so that, that's really kind of how I handle it. And then part of it being a visionary is, is I'm not very good at process and discipline and all the things that, you know, actually make a company function. So you've got to get good at picking, you know, surrounding yourself with people who are good at that. And if, if it doesn't work, you got to look in the mirror first. Mm -hmm. Like that's another thing that I've gotten used to is, um, Patrick Lencioni has a book. Uh, he's got a, a lot of books. Um, and I forget which one it is, but they, 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 it was really kind of a tipping point for me as I was reading it. Um, in a lot of the peer groups, they start teaching you about, you know, this is the, the, the pyramid is the hierarchy of the business and you want to sit at the top of the pyramid as the CEO. And it's like, yeah, that's you're pretty much building a, a company where you abdicate up the way and then everybody else is responsible and you got nothing to do. And it's like, yeah, if you want to build a really crappy company, that's a great way to look at it. But if you flip the pyramid on, on its on its on its head and, and the CEOs at the bottom holding everything up, you, you kind of have to embrace you know, I think it's like he calls embrace the suck, you know, embrace, you know, yeah. you're going to have the worst job in the company you're going to have all the different difficult conversations when things go wrong, the fingers are going to be pointed at you and you can't point them back. And when things go right, they're going to be pointed at everybody else. And that's your life. Yin. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting because even when I was talking to Tom yesterday, um, he said, uh, he said, because I was asking him like with open book management, do you, do you feel like you have to be an ESOP because it goes back? I mean, if you think about your and I's common theme of like, the, the incentives and the explanation has to be pure to the root cause. And I find it funny that we're both from IT. Like, what's the root cause? <laughs> it's like, but um, and, Tom, and Tom said, yeah, you don't actually, if you have it all out there, most of the employees don't want ownership because they're like, yeah, that looks like it sucks. Just show me the money and show me how I can participate. And I was like, wow, that's so fascinating. Yeah, trying to trying to figure out what people want, especially in the post-COVID world. Like, I don't think most people know what they want. Like, that's that's the you know I, I don't agree. I think they might have had a little bit of a clue, but again, if you start poking at their why, they're chasing somebody else's dream. They're chasing the Instagram lifestyle. You know, everybody mm-hmm. on Instagram posts the best parts of their life in small little captions, and then the 98% of their life that sucks, is it's not, it doesn't go on there. It's like, hey, here's, here's a picture of me with my family, and they're all sick with the plague. And, you know, hashtag <laughs> great life. You know, it's like that, that, that never makes it up there. But they're chasing this dream of like, well, let's live on an island. And, be, and I guarantee you, I, I guarantee you for, for the vast majority of people, because I know a lot of really unhappy millionaires, so mm-hmm. people who have sold their businesses and have literally no reason to get up in the morning, they have no purpose, no why, no drive. 
but they were they were living somebody else's fantasy of you know getting to the exit, getting that big payout, and they they achieved it. And it's like now what? Mm-hmm. You can only mm-hmm. play so much golf. You can only you know, and and that starts to get really a boring life. And then you start to realize you sold your baby. Um, the people that you really enjoyed being around, they're all gone because you you sold them off into whatever. And, you know, it, it just like, that's the, there's gotta be, okay, why? Okay. Then why? Then why? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You just gotta well, and, keep asking. Well, and this is why I like, I love our conversation before. And this one is that like, the, I, I don't know if I told you before the podcast used to be called life after business, Eric, for four years prior before, before yeah. turning into intentional growth. And I kept realizing what you just said, people would come on this show and they're totally miserable. And yeah. I'm like, like you have this billion dollars in this colorful pie chart on Charles Schwab and no one needs you and no one cares. And like, so it's really fascinating. Go back to your first uh, couple comments is that cash is the oxygen of the business, but it's not the purpose Correct. is how kind of how you said it. So I, when you said that, here's the analogy that went through my head is like, so if we were to say the purpose of life, if we were to just take that metaphor analogy, I don't know whatever word it is, but like, uh, the purpose of life is not to breathe, right? Right. And so the purpose of life is not to eat. The, like the purpose of life is the experience, but we need oxygen to keep experiencing. Right. So it's like back, it's so parallel. Like you, we need cash flow and that and a healthy value to keep being, but like the business should be right. right. <laughs> it's not, it's not, a, yeah, it's just an interesting parallel. Well, if you, if you're doing the right things for the right reasons, for the right people, the cash will come like that's, that's, but you have to measure that. And if you're not where you need to be, then you have to look at what, you know, the, the numbers tell the story. What are we, where are we missing the mark? You know, are we not providing value that, you know, do people not see value in what we're doing? Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, a lot of that unpacking that has to happen, Mm -hmm. But you you need the metrics for the guidepost. But again, if profit is is the number one reason, then you're like you're going to get what you get. And it's like it's like AI, where if you like if you didn't tell AI that human life is important, it will consume human life. And it's just it. it what I what I uh, I'm curious to your because you you and I were sharing about education and growing up is like so the reason I got involved in the numbers, Eric. Cause I was a, I get literally a terrible student, didn't understand finance at all, other than what do, what should I sell this copy for? How much gross profit should I jam into this lease so that way I can make my commission? <laughs> That's how I started to get understanding of numbers because I was like, I get paid. But when I, when I started into after we sold and I tried to like trying to understand what happened, kind of this whole uh, conversation we're talking about of like, what's the purpose? And they're like, well, then I first went to, it's the money. And then I had to go in and I, I then I, that's why I ended up landing in understanding finance. Cause you just said the numbers are the story. So how, right. what's your experience with like the, in the, the rest of the world and the numbers and how you see numbers fitting into like the game and how, how they're important. Well, I mean, using your example, right? So in our business, we don't allow commissions. And so, you know, when we talk about the why, so if I'm, I'm going to have somebody representing our company going in front of a client and they're going to make a recommendation, if there's a financial incentive for the person making the recommendation, who's, whose best interest is that recommendation probably going to be in? The person who gets the commission 
right? Am I going to give you the thing that I can make the most money on or the thing that'll benefit you the most? So we take that out of the equation. And that's not to say that most people are wired that way. But like, if you give an opportunity, it's hard to build trust with your clients and in the relationship, if there's, if they know there's a potential or if they even assume or think there's a financial incentive. So we get that out of the way, even in our sales process. And we, we say, this is one of the things that makes us a bit unique is we don't allow that. Now we'll incentivize people on the health of the company and they'll share in the profits. And again, they share in the ownership part of it. That's kind of the, you know, Mm -hmm. help make it great. And we'll give you part of it. Um, But, you know, again, if you, if you incentivize, if you place the incentive in the wrong place, you know, now the incentive is like, you know, you're, you're measured by how much you're helping the customer, not how much you're Mm -hmm. bringing in on commission or how many deals you close. So it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's the why of the numbers. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, why do we do this? Why do I have commission on that? And if you ask a lot of companies, you know, that they might not even have the answer of why they're commission based. It's like, well, that's because that's how salespeople get paid. And it's like, well, is it, you know, and and let's just for the people that might be skeptical of what, what you're saying right now. You're not, I'm putting words in your mouth right now. And I want you to correct me or, or, or agree is you're not saying profit's not important, right? Like, right. like, and cause that's, that, that's immediately, cause it's the binary thought process of like, well, if you're not commission-based, you, are you nonprofit and uh, you're not, you're sacrificing the potential growth and your potential employee salary? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's yeah. an immediate jump to the other end of the spectrum and yeah. you're not saying that. Well, yeah. Profit's the result of, again, doing the right things for the right people, you know, at the right times. And if you're creating value, people will pay for value. Like that's, that's always been true in business. If you have something of value, people will pay, you know, the, the right people will pay for it. You know, the people that you're helping, mm-hmm. the people who see that value. If you commission somebody, that's not to say you underpay, you just have a different compensation structure. And, you know, our values are, you know, here's your, here's your base salary for doing your job. Here are the parameters for your job. And then if we do well as an organization, which you're directly responsible for, like you have a, a big role in that because if you keep the customer happy and you give them the things they need and their business grows, like they'll reward us with as they grow, we'll grow. Mm-hmm. And as the profit, you know, piles, you'll get a piece of that. And you'll also, the longer you're here, you'll get more of the company. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, it's a just, just a different compensation model, but it's based on value, not based on how many of something you can shove like, down somebody's throat. Right, right, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> I have, oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's this incentives to go back and say, but I just had a, a, a comment. My, my partner, Joel, he said that one of the people in his, his life that as he was growing his family business before, and I don't know if it was in the family business or before he sold the private or after he, when he sold the private equity is the revenue that you get is a thank you. So money shouldn't be something that's bad. It's a thank you for something mm-hmm. you did for someone. So if you're making a buttload of money for the right weight reasons, it's just a bunch of thank yous. Yeah. <laughs> I just love and then it. if you if you have a good why, then you can use that to do even more good in the world, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's if you become, you know, Zig Ziglar had the thing like you can have anything in the world you want as long as you help other people get what they want and need. Mm-hmm. Right. So like if you and, and I'm not against people having a lot of money, um, if you're creating value and then, you know, what you do with that says a lot about you as a person. You know, if it's all about accumulating things, I mean, that's something you'll have to reconcile with yourself. Like I can't, you know, for me personally, 
you know, the material stuff is not the mark I want to leave, but that's everybody has to go through their own why journey. Right. So Mm -hmm. why are you buying all this stuff? What are you compensating for? Like, why do you need things to make Mm -hmm. you happy? I'm more of an experienced person. Experiences are, you know, people and experiences are what make me happy. And there's nothing better than hearing from, you know, an employee or a client or a friend or something like that. Hey, what you did or what your company did really made a difference. Mm-hmm. Like you want to light me, like that's the thing that lights me up. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I think that most, I mean, most people are human. Well, people are human. So most people will think. Most, or, most of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's some, there's some question marks out there these days, but uh, sure. the, uh, I think um, I lost my train of thought. That was so funny. <laughs> um, is uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. So, how do you work with other people around you, whether it's peers that are entrepreneurs or mentors or your executive team or your employees, get this mindset? Well, you have. I mean, first, first and foremost, you have to lead by example. Like you know, again, I think that's that truth and transparency. So. I'm I'm not somebody who's going to be bright and cheery 100% of the time all day every day. And so for me to expect everybody else to be like that, I mean that that would be fake. Um but what we try to do is 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 make sure we're not like living in the negative, you know, like stuff is going to happen. Uh life is life. It's not, you know, it's chaotic, it's random, mm-hmm. like even the best thing worst no things happen to the best people. Um but again, it's how you react to, to situations. It's it's that's the one thing that's in your control. So first and foremost, if I'm not living the values I'm I'm you know hoping to surround myself with people who have, have like minded, well, it's all a fraud. The the house of cards, everything falls apart from there. Mm-hmm. So, but if somebody's struggling, you know, Simon Sinek has a has a a bunch of great content on empathy. And, you know, he has one video where he talks in like most companies come in. It's like, hey, Joe, you didn't hit your sales numbers this last quarter. If you don't hit them again in this quarter, you're going to be gone. Like that's, you know, if they lead with the threats, like, you know, hey, we're going to if we threaten you, you'll improve your performance. But, you know, he says, if you come in with empathy, hey, Joe, you didn't hit your numbers. What's wrong? Everything okay? Tell me, you know, something going on in your life. And most of the times you're going to get like, you know, how, you know, my, my mother is sick or, you know, something along those Mm -hmm. lines. And I think that's where some of the managers and leaders aren't prepared to handle that kind of response. Cause it's like, now it's like, okay, well, great. Well, we still got a company to run here. Right. How do you, how do you deal with that? So you really got to set people up, um, to, you know, we're all in relationship businesses, even internally. Right. And, and it's just managing that. But if you, if you're a bad example, how are you supposed to expect somebody else to kind of center it and bring right. it back? And well, and this is where like, I'm tracking that. And I, and I think about the incentive and the root cause that like the root North star, like it, when we peg ourselves as people or companies towards a goal, everything aligns towards that. I mean, like not to go down the AI road, but like, that's the biggest question everybody's asking right now. And everybody's fighting about is what's the alignment? Like, how do they treat, uh, can they be ethical or not? And the alignment, my point is like that root goal, whether it's in the, the whole, the whole workshop and keynote that I travel across the country do is uh, like revenue doesn't solve our, our, all of it. Because like, I literally, like you can have a bunch of revenue go bankrupt. So like that can't be the goal. Cause then everything aligns towards a goal that doesn't make any sense. So then I, why I've been on this journey, Eric, for 10 years is like ownership 
becomes like one of the main things. Like we, like every human being needs ownership because it's money and money is a fundamental exchange of trust between human beings. Like money in the three statements is literally how we communicate value between each other. So it's like, like psychology, but math is like one thing. (laughs) And like, and then if we have this ownership, which is like, we're all providing value every day to a company. And then like, like it's, we should be all steering towards the right direction. But like, I think it's so such a, to to highlight the contrast of this goal, Eric, and what kind of, kind of teeny up for the ESOP conversation is like, my partners turned their company into an ESOP. Then three years later, they were sold to private equity because it was such a huge offer, kind of triggered the wholesale process with the trustee and such. But like to say it as simple as this is 280 people on one, like for three years, woke up creating value for everyone for 280 people based on the percentage of salary based on their role and the value they were creating. And then day two, they were waking up creating value for 12 people for a fund that was from Israel. Like you can't argue with like that statement, whether it's right or wrong is not for this podcast, but like just the pure alignment of like, here's what the goal was. And now here's what the goal was. And it's just different. And then all of the ripple effect that happens from that. So I, I mean, I don't know if there's a question or a comment there, like, like kind of thinking through just the goal and then your ESOP and how these all the symptoms align. I just find it's hard to argue with how that fact lays out. Well, that's that that was something that I discovered this year. So again, when you talk about going layers deep on the why, uh, if you don't go deep enough, at some point you run the risk of something having unintended consequences, right? And that's always the risk. And, you know, what you just outlaid there is like, you know, hey, we went ESOP, but private equity still got its hands some way, shape or form because the offer was just too great. And so the difference there is if you're changing one life or you're changing 280 lives, it's still a point in time and it's not a movement. Right. That's that's kind of how I look at it. So when we were at Small Giants earlier this year, uh, Lauren Feldman was doing a, a, a segment with a friend of mine, Delcy Bean, who owns uh, Paragus IT out in the Boston area. Ah, he's a, on my list because I was sitting right over. Camille's been on the podcast. He's another rabbit hole guy. Like you get him on, <laughs> you'll be talking for three hours, but he's a great, great human being. Um, and so, you know, he was, he was going to talk about his journey, you know, cause they're, I think like a 40% and they were going to go to a hundred this year. And so Lauren asked him, um, he says, okay, well now you'll be giving up controlling ownership because now you won't be the majority owner. Like right now I still own 70% of the company and 30% ESOP. So I, you know, I still make the mm-hmm. decisions on that, but once you're 49 or less, it's like, you know, now, now the board's involved, trustees are involved, like other people are making decisions on behalf of the shareholders, which is the employees. Mm-hmm. What's to stop private equity from coming and Lauren asked him, he said, what's to stop private equity from coming in and just offering a stupid amount of money. And now you're, you're out and, and it's now in private equity's hands. And just the look on his face and my face, if somebody would have been there with a camera was like, oh crap, we didn't think that far through, but then that's where you know, again, having a, a wide circle, you look at like what Ari Weinswig is doing with Zingerman's, they put their business in a perpetual they purpose tried. trust. Yep, yep. And so I'm like, oh, I have more learning to do. Like now I have to see if I can get, you know, what we've done here so far backed out and into a, a PPT so that, 
you know, private equity can't get its hands on it in the, you know, in the, in the future when I'm not around and things like that. And the interesting thing is like, I've written some articles on LinkedIn about, you know, this whole journey to ESOP and I'm not real kind to private equity in my writings. Like I'm, I'm not a fan if it hasn't come across at this point. Um, and I had somebody from private equity reach out on LinkedIn in, in the messaging app and say, you know, hey, I just read your article about your journey to ESOP. That sounds really great. Like, you know, big fan. How can private equity participate? And I'm like, well, I wanted to say, like, at what point in the article did you stop reading? Because <laughs> had you gotten all the way through, you probably would have known I'm not receptive to this line of questioning. But that's so I, that's it, the, it, the why, 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 mm-hmm. why, why, you know, it's like, OK, well, we and got you're pulling here. the thread to the end incentives in which has always led me to money, Eric. Like money is the exchange of trust and value between humans. That's how we communicate. And we need a medium of exchange, which is currency, like, which is why I've gone down the rabbit hole of money for like 10 years now. And what I find fascinating, and I, and I want to do this for the listeners too, because I think part of the point in time with private equity too, let me, let me, let me give you just my opinion and see how, how you want to react to it is that because money, I believe is neutral. It's the intent behind the person that money empowers the intent behind the person, right? So like, I'm not saying right, like as you should agree, but like, that's how I view it. And so when I think about business and if money is the oxygen of business, which has an intent, product services, I mean, it should be the whatever they're doing for the customer, not necessarily just the shareholders, right? Conscious capitalism, hence all the point where I'm like, okay, well, the intent, the oxygen goes in and the intent should be driven off of what they're doing. So like, I think like how I've tried, why I'm trying, why, why I struggle with this, Eric, is that I don't think all private equity people are bad, or I don't think anybody that like, you can't, I can't put superlatives or big, huge overarching generalizations to categorize everyone. And I don't think you would agree. I think you would agree with that. But then I think private equity and venture capital, because of 0% rates for 14 years became an unhealthy percentage of the marketplace. And so like, like, I still think that there's good actors, Brent B. Shore, Sonny Vanderbeck. There's a bunch of people doing some great things in this space. But when you have the industry that disproportionately has the wrong intent, that's when it gets all out of whack. But I, I find that I struggle having these conversations with people because they can't have the dualism at the same, you know what I mean? Like they can't have them both be true at the same time. But I, I feel like I, I'm okay with that. How do you feel about what I was just said? Well, the, so in the big picture, you know, and this is going to be all over the place, but what, you know, that's okay. That's what I love. So if you're, if you've ever watched any Marvel movies, you're familiar with the character Thanos, like the guy who decides on his own that, you know, the, the universe is out of balance and I'm going to be the guy who comes in and creates equal balance across the, and in order to do that, I have to kill 50% of all living things, right? (laughs) So the intent of I need balance, I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with Thanos in the in the that's my why right like I, there's a gap in income inequality and I'm trying to close that gap. So the people who have less are going to certainly rally behind my cause right because it's like hey he's fighting for us he wants to increase you know the 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 income that we have which should increase the quality of life. You know, and again, money equals freedom in a lot of people's eyes, freedom of choice, freedom of, you know, like 
they want that safety and security. So the people on that side of the equation are certainly going to be in the camp of, yes, let's get this gap closed. The people who have too much and are of too much control are going to ap- absolutely be like, I'm not giving up what I have, right? I earn this. I, you know, whatever the, whatever the case may be, which leads to the question is, and, and this is where you'll never get a universal answer because of humans and the human condition is how much is enough? And that answer is going to be different for everybody. Like how much is en- how much is enough before it's okay for somebody else to have some? And then there's the whole value conversation. It's like, well, should everybody be equal? And my answer is equal opportunity doesn't equal equal outcomes. That is so convoluted these days, right? Right. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not a warrior of like, everybody should be on the same playing field with the same. That's not what I'm saying. It's like, we need to close the gap because power and money concentrated too much leads to corruption. It always does. History has shown us. And that's the whole anarchist way of thinking is like decentralize it. No central form of government, no central leadership, no nothing. And I'm somewhere in the, in between on that is like, and I don't necessarily have the answer either of like, I can say for me, how much is enough? Like when it's like, okay. And, and I, I tend to donate time and money disproportionately than I probably should if I listen to financial advisors and things like that. But again, you got to know my why and, and get into all that. But part of one of those articles I read after after the Inc. 5000 is, and it's that whole growth, like I, I came to a conclusion for us as a company, 15 to 35% year over year growth is the, is the Goldilocks zone. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is over 35% creates chaos from a culture standpoint, because now you're probably having to hire faster then you reasonably can if you're really intent on your why and finding the people who will either, you know, add to the culture, but believe what you believe and, and want to do things for the reason below 15% and you're not creating enough opportunity for people to grow within the company and they're mm. probably not going to stay. So, but if you're in that spot, you can comfortably exist forever. That's mm-hmm. to me, the right amount of growth. Mm-hmm. And I know there's, vast majority of organizations who would disagree with that. And it's like, well, 200%, 300%, you're, it's like, once you get to like 20 million, 40 million, hundred million, you know, 200% growth gets really hard at a million, 200% growth. Well, and, and you know, and, that's like, easier. And, well, a hundred percent agree with you. And what happens is if, I mean, people, I mean, I don't know how many people I've had on the podcast where they grew themselves into bankruptcy or had to sell. So they, they run out of the oxygen because they're growing too fast. And it, there is this, I mean, the yin and yang symbol and order and chaos. I mean, there's a reason that this dualism exists. And I, I think it's fascinating that you go back, it goes back to what's the intent. And if the, like, back to like your, your talk about like balance and like just incentives and why are we doing what we're doing? Where if the why is, is pure, just pure money motivated. I don't have an issue with money. I want lots of money. That's why I do what I do. Like, I just want to be very clear. But like, what happens is then if, if it's the sole incentive, then everything like unravels in a weird, unfunctional, their dysfunctional way. Like, I mean, when I found out that derivatives counted as GDP, Eric, I immediately was like, who gives a shit about GDP then? Cause they're made up numbers on top of someone else's cash flow. So mm-hmm. it's actually not a good in service. So then GDP means like it's like it's it's I don't trust it anymore. Right. You know what I mean? And then again that's the pull and the thread. 
And it kind of goes back to that incentive alignment, uh, like, and just saying, okay, well, what is the ultimate goal? What is the purpose here? Cause then everything unravels from there. How do you, like, how do you communicate this to your team? Is it, Hey, we're in ESA. Like, how do you communicate that and then beat that drum in a way that people makes people understand in your organization? Well, I, I, I try to start with, you know, again, the why, like, so I, I take it back to the roots, like, here's, here's why I'm doing this as, as a founder and a CEO and as the sole owner originally of the company, I, you know, I said, nobody lives forever. I have a choice at some point, if I didn't have a path, I was going to be forced into a decision. So I'd rather plan ahead. And, you know, I could be part of the machine that sells to private equity because that's the big play in our industry right now. There's lots of money. There's the easy outs, easy exits. Or I could believe what I believe about the income inequality gap, which you're probably affected by. You know, I talked to, about the mm -hmm. people who are coming in and I said, so I could either choose to be one of the haves and, and, and go farther this way, or I could take less and still be, I'm going to be fine, be okay, but then set this up to where now we have this group who are creating the value and we're sharing in the value. And that's, mm -hmm. that's my belief. And that's, you know, and it's either going to resonate, you know, so people are going to get excited about that or it's not. And it's like, great. There's plenty other places that probably think like you do. And, and that's probably where you should be. Mm -hmm. If you don't start there, I think that's where a lot of companies get into trouble as they grow. They don't have that North star. They don't have that why defined and it really is growth and profit. Right. It's right. And, and well, and, and I think also agreed, but I also think if people fully describe the why it would, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Then people would be like, wait, seriously, we're all here for that. <laughs> and yeah. it's just kind of a, re so it, it's a, uh, well, you're breaking into people's person. Like, again, this is, this is at the political religious, like everybody has foundational beliefs. Right. And so for someone like me, my foundational beliefs are very flexible in that this is what I believe because of the data I have today and the research I've done and the education I've had. And if something, if, if data to the contrary comes along and, and disproves some of my foundation, it's not going to rock my world mm -hmm. because I, I'm very flexible in that regard. Some people were brought up in very strict backgrounds to where there was like even physical or mental consequences for not buying into the system of beliefs. Yep, yep. And so when you start to pull at those threads, I mean, you're literally trying to pull that person apart. I mean, not mm -hmm. intentionally, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. if you don't yeah. understand yeah. how deep those beliefs are rooted, you could be doing damage unintentionally. So that's where it's a fine line when you walk in and say like, Hey, th this is what I believe. I'm not saying you have to believe it, but if you don't, you're probably going to struggle in this organization because the people who are here foundationally believe this, like we're all fighting on the same team for, you know, uh, closing that gap. Like that's mm -hmm. getting to ESOP was just the first part. Becoming a good ESOP is the second part. And then incentivizing other organizations to follow our path is the third part. Mm -hmm. That's how you're going to create this, this uh, employee owned economy. And it's, I mean, there's 236 ESOPs in Illinois. That's it. That's it. There's 6,900 in the country. There's 236 so I heard the 18, in Illinois. 000, is that, so that's. Uh, well, that, I, I mean, you can ask Corey because that's. I, I, got, I struggle because when I was talking to Corey, it was like, there's, 
like 11 million people working for ESOPs in the country and 12 and a half million working for private equity. But for employee owned, I think that like it's lumped in with like public companies with stock. I, I don't know. It was, it was a little convoluted. Some of that, that stat to me, because well, if you only so have 6,900. Yeah. We're a member of NCEO and like we, uh, all the data I just gave you was from their slides. So okay. it's like, you'll, you'll well, have to it, ask Corey. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's 11 million people that work for the 6,900 or Cause I think there was kind of like two tranches of like types yeah. or like attributes of it. Um, but, uh, so as we're getting cl uh, close to wrapping up here, Eric is, I, I want to, how, if you think about yourself back with those bottle of Tums and you're having a conversation with yourself, how would you describe your perspective right now to the old you and why the journey was worth it? Well, the, the. The, the thing I would tell my old, younger self would be to get, you know, coaching, ment mentoring and mental health help a lot sooner. Like that, that was the big hurdle is I, I'm a very stubborn person and that's, I've had to overcome a lot of that, you know, ingrained stubbornness. Um, so, the, so the learning curve was very steep and very hard. So that would be kind of the first thing is like, is it worth it? Um, you know, a hundred percent because, becoming, you know, this person I am now, which I think is a lot more curious, um, by nature and, and really the curiosity is what keeps opening the doors and keeps things interesting and exciting and allows me and the team to help more people. So like, that's the thing is like, I think the younger me was just too naive and too angry. There was a lot of unresolved issues that, you know, not one thing. It wasn't just the coaching. It wasn't just, you know, it, it, the, the therapy, like all of those things had to happen, mm -hmm. but had they happened sooner, the impact would have been greater. So that's the thing I can, you know, either you're never too young or too old to, to start those journeys, but having coaches, mentors, and therapists, like I mm -hmm. believe everybody on the planet should have one of each, mm -hmm. like that's, yeah. we're humans and, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult journey. It's, you know, mm -hmm. even, even in the best circumstances, being human is not an easy task. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Um, how have you, uh, you, you talked about hacking your dopamine for the healthy reasons. So how do you, how have you tied your activities and what you're doing today to healthy dopamine fixes? Like, how are you getting your dopamine fix on the journey you're on right now? Well, I think that's, that goes back to uh, the EOS stuff that we do. So, you know, we've been, um, I, we've been using EOS running on EOS for about three years now. And so that visionary integrator relationship is, is key to that. So our integrator is, is like 180 degrees wired differently, but I have him as an outlet now for the crazy. And so rather than the crazy getting dumped on everybody in the company at random intervals and then have them go like, what are we doing now? Like, wait a minute, <laughs> we're, that's a complete shift from what you just said last week. There's a process we put in place where there's a spot for me to dump all my crazy. He filters through it and anything that may have merit, we dive into if I'm still interested in it. Like, so there's a cooling off period too. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah. So, so the, the, and the dopamine's when you actually find one that's worth pursuing. Well, the, the, the dopamine is just coming up with them. Like that's half of the battle is, <laughs> and then just, just letting like, it just go. Right. And yeah, just like <laughs> I think every idea is a winner and you know, like, cause, cause that's just like, 
I have, I, I do have this gift. So part of, you know, going back to Doug Brackman's book, Driven, um, there's this thing called persistent background, background awareness. And so I'm wired to like, even we could be in a restaurant with like a hundred people and you and I could be engaged in a really deep conversation and I'm fully present. Part of my brain is listening to what's going on around and it's just pulling pieces and storing them. And then when I'm in down mode or sleeping, whatever, it just starts stitching a narrative together and goes, think about this. And that's just a, it's a gift. And, yeah. and that's part of how, you know, he, he references it to being like a spider sense in the book. And it's like, you just know something's going to happen. And, you know, some people refer to it as intuition, but it's, it's literally how your brain is picking Processing. up on, on things that regular people, you know, the, cause the, he calls it about the, you know, the farmer world, everybody's safe and secure and we're all very sedentary now mm -hmm. and there's no danger. Well, some of us are still living in the prehistoric world of there's mm -hmm. danger everywhere and our brains are looking for that and we stitch narratives together. So, yeah, it's, it's, and uh, yeah, it, it could I, be, it could be good. Like, again, if you, if you're, if you're spotting things that people aren't are always aware of, you can, you can use it as a competitive advantage for sure. But if you're just dumping that on everybody with, without context, it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a destructive force because people get scared. It's mm -hmm. like, you, are you just crazy? It's like, no, it's oh. not crazy. It's, it's oh, a gift. You, you just, uh, you just tapped into something that like, I, I think I, I might be able to articulate clearer than I have in the past is, so when I think about intentional growth and people and entrepreneurs taking what they want and using the company as a vehicle to go get it, money needing to be one of the variables, but not the ultimate goal. And when I, for the hundreds of people that end up being miserable after they sold to a third party, and then they just didn't have, it just turned into something that they didn't expect. That's one thing. Like the legacy thing is one thing. I think people understand that, Eric. And so I don't, we don't have to go into that. And then people understand the money thing, but one thing, how you just worded what you just described about your dopamine and the ideas. And if it, and I don't, I, this is just a, I, a hypothesis at this point, but if there's a good percentage of entrepreneurs that are visionaries that are addicted to understanding that that chaos and turning into order like we started the conversation with then the company is a unique environment and sandbox slash playground to try that stuff on mm -hmm. and without it there's nowhere to stitch all those things together go to a boardroom the next day and be like, let's try this and so what happens is it's like, like what I think if I said very, like I said, maybe clearer than I've ever said it, that playground is worth more than, and potentially could be worth millions of dollars to say no to the highest offer because they can wake in, wake up, stitch those ideas together, pull some levers, impact people's lives and see what happens. Kind of like a Walt Disney at his, at his playground in, in Disneyland. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I find it very fascinating. Well, I, th I think the unchecked version of that are the people who label themselves serial entrepreneurs is huh, like, interesting. Yeah. like with in, in, in my, I'm using just my case as an example. It's like, I have my sandbox, but I have processes to unleash that without damaging the company. Like, and I used to, <laughs> that is so well said. I love how well, you said that <laughs> before the, before our integrator got here. Um, it was unchecked and it definitely caused a lot of harm because you, you scare people, you like, you, you seem unstable because you're just in every direction. And now that you have a process and I have a process to put all that in, 
I still get my dopamine fix. And then I have a filter and a lens. Somebody's looking mm. through that, you know, an adult is, is monitoring my behavior. And, and, and then we, we, we can choose to pursue things in a proper fashion and then roll them out into the company through the EOS quarterly and annual there. And, and it's less scary to everybody else. People who don't have that, I think wind up doing the serial entrepreneur route probably more than not because instead of using the companies, they just just start popping up companies everywhere, and then they get bored and they move on to the next. And 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 it's you know if you don't have right people right at the start, it's just a bunch of companies that don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I'm a serial entrepreneur, and it's like okay, so you and I have the same thing, and we don't lack, we lack focus. I have somebody trying to help keep it in and some, nobody's really curtailing you. So you're just spinning companies up left right. and right. Not right, you, right. but like yeah, 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 yeah. No, figuratively. Well, and it's interesting, Eric, cause I think that this is kind of one of the, I think it's potentially one of the root issues too behind what, like when I say like create a sustainable business that has sustainable cash flow and the valuation, the equity valuation that you need based on the cash flow. And it, go, it goes from this like exciting time of innovation and then the, then it's blocking and tackling. Like, like there are home services clients that we work with that are printing money and it's like they're not doing anything AI driven. You know what I mean? <laughs> Garage doors, landscaping, cleaning, and like they're creating really good companies, but it's not like crazy new. You know what I mean? So I think there's a way based on how you just describe it to be that to have your what is it? Make your cake and eat it too. Like you can do both if you have the process and the filters, like you just said, where you can get your dopamine. I think that's what ends up happening, Eric, is so many people end up calling me up that they're bored, they're burnt out and they want to change and they blow up their whole life and company for the dopamine fix. Honest right. to God, I swear. Well, that's uh, Doug's book says there's two types. There's the D2 and D4. And I, I pretty, I'm, I'm paraphrasing from memory. So this is, this may not be accurate. So asterisk, air quotes. Um, but I think the D2s are the ones who, you know, the dopamine rush, they, they're also the ones who skydive. They're the ones who drive 150 miles an hour. Uh, you know, they'll go hiking in the woods barefoot, you know, with no provisions and just expect to survive. You know, those, the, they push the envelope of life, not just business, but mm. they're, 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 the business dopamine's not enough. So they got to push their boundaries with their own physical and, and, and safety Mm-hmm. And, and like, that's thankfully not me. Like I'm a uh, 55 miles an hour on the high. I'm the people everybody hates driving with. Like I, <laughs> I'm my dopamine fix is, is, is fine with the business life from a, you know, my personal safety and well being. I do not crave dopamine in that regard. So I'm not ris- a risk taker with my health. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, I think there's correlations there that is fascinating. I think this goes back to then self-awareness, Megan, what are you trying to solve for? And then building the plan backwards instead of it, like the asking the why. Yes. Everything <laughs> Eric, comes this, back to why. Yeah, man, this has been so fun. Um, anything that we should have touched on that we haven't? I mean, I'm sure there's a big list, but in the container, yeah, this conversation. Yeah, no, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Plead the fifth. Plead the fifth. Um, Two questions for you then, man. Uh, intentional. I'd say this conversation was very uh, in line with it, but what, what what would you say the word intentional means to you? Uh, giving deep thought, you know, it's, it, it drives back to the why. It's 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 not following the, the herd because we've always done it that way. Uh, it's really 
sitting with it, you know, putting some thought behind the actions and, and the outcomes. Eric, this has been a blast. Where can people find you at WebIT and what you guys are doing and uh, follow the journey? Yeah. Um, so webitservices.com, that's our website. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm all over the place on LinkedIn. Um, and if you want to give us a call where it's at 630-870-1088, somebody Eric, will know where to find me. <laughs> I love it, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I could have said chatted with Eric about these topics and probably a ton more for a lot longer. If there's any th takeaways that I would have is that one is that it's so important to do the introspective, reflective work that Eric's talking about to get clear on what you want. Because if I have one common theme that I see amongst entrepreneurs who end up getting stuck, it's understanding what are they trying to solve for? Is it the wealth? Is it the cash flow? Is it the job freedom? Is it the time freedom? Really the four freedoms like Dan Sullivan talks about with freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of relationships, and freedom of purpose, or the Arcona's three, which is create wealth, enjoy work, and make an impact. Really clarifying that goal will allow you then to then build the roadmap to get there. What's the timeline? How much cash flow do you need? What's the target equity valuation? What kind of pain or misery or excitement or not that you want on the way there is all important. And you thinking through that and then taking what you have gathered from your goals, you can then look at a spreadsheet or a dashboard like we do at Arcona to say, okay, now what do you want? What are the trade-offs between reinvesting back in the company, doing hard work or taking the cash home? No one can make that decision except you and you doing it and reconciling it against your goals and the experience that you want. So if there's two things I would say about this is if you need more reflective uh, experiences to, to clarify that goal, go check out the Intentional Growth Academy or the Starter Kit, wherever you're at. The Starter Kit will give you a flavor for free. The Academy is do it yourself. It's a thousand bucks with the $500 coupon if you actually go into the show notes or you can always do the coaching calls with me and my partner, Matt that are in the virtual, or you could uh, schedule a discovery call with me and my team where we just ask a couple quick questions to see if you qualify for a complimentary financial assessment for my team where they connect our dashboard and then analyze it and come back and show you the dashboard with some thoughts so you have an idea of where you might be at right now if you're wondering and you're flying blind. So I think it's important to understand what you want and then get clear on where you're at so you can actually get a better understanding of that gap. So, so I hope everybody enjoyed that episode with Eric and I will see you next week.